something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. I feel very strongly about the merits of a good stretch before you podcast or before you listen to a podcast or really anything. Feels good. We'll just do it together. Yes. Just stretch it out. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go. Do it. Just run it. Feel it. There it this is. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. All right. Stretched out, limber, loose, ready to roll. Feeling good. How's everybody doing out there? I'm on The Bachelor this week. Barely. They cut your boy out. Which, I mean, I'm used to. Listen, but this week, I didn't even say anything. I'm just there for like three seconds, then boom. So, whatever. I had like seven really good jokes. I was so excited for it. I made like a biggie Tupac joke that I thought definitely was going to kill. Pun intended. And they caught it. Whatever. It's fine. It's not about me. It's about Matt and his journey. La, 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 la. <sighs> Claire and Dale, though, huh? Who saw that coming? Every Everyone saw that coming? Got it. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Ooh. Here's the great thing about my podcast. Uh, they can't cut me out. Because I do the cutting. Your boy is the editor. And also, the editors over at ABC. Listen, I get it. I can't stand myself either. So, I'm right there with you. But I'm not going to be cutting out our guest today because uh, this guy literally has done everything. He's an actor. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He started out early on a Nickelodeon show called Big Time Rush, part of a best-selling music group of the same name. He's pivoted over to the EDM side of the music world. Got a song right now that's uh, number one across the pond. Dude won the uh, iHeartRadio Rising Star Award. He was also the last man standing on Dancing with Stars. He's the current host of the CW's global talent show, The Big Stage, with Elizabeth Stan. He was on the first season of CBS's Celebrity Big Brother. He's got a new rom-com out right now called Stars Fell on Alabama. He's got a war movie coming out later this year. I mean, this guy's done everything. Except my show, Until Today. Coming up on the Wells cast. 
We got James Maslow. Stick around. This is a good one. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. All right, we are back on the Wells cast. Very excited to have the multi-talented James Maslow on the show. How are you, my man? I'm good, bud. How you doing? I'm doing really good. It's been fun doing this show because it's given me something to do during the pandemic, but I'm always amazed and a little jealous of my guests because they're getting to do stuff. And I'm like, how? what, what production company allowed this? I don't understand. But you've got a bunch <laughs> of stuff going on. you got your music going on. You've got this movie going on, TV shows. Everything's happening for you right now. Let's start with the big kind of headline, Stars Fell in Alabama. How pumped are you for this? 
I'm extremely pumped. It's it's nice for a, a multitude of reasons. To your point, we filmed this right before COVID. We filmed this in November, December of 2019. So this is actually the last movie that I finished. And uh, funny enough, the first one coming out. But I was lucky to have several projects in the can. You know, I have this and I have two other movies I lead coming out this year, which is more than a lot of actors can say because nothing really did film last year. I was lucky to do some stuff on like the CW with Popstar and a few little hosting things here and there. But for the most part, it's been focusing on, um, on music right here in my studio at home, which, uh, you know, lucky to have that as well, but also just anxious and eager to get back to touring. Yeah, it's this kind of weird situation where all I, I had a lot of musicians on and it's feast and famine for you guys because you have so much time to create and you have like a lot of like <laughs> emo news stories and just like just depression in general to create like a lot of really good content. But then you can't go out into the world and present it to mass crowds and stuff. So it's this, it's this great right thing, but then this kind of crap thing as well. But also going out into the world, having normal freaking human experience is where I draw most of my creativity from. So yeah, we have more time, but ample time sitting around, you know, alone at home like everyone else. So I guess drawing from news stories in the way of the world is, is silver lining some ideas, but definitely not the same. And uh, I think I speak for just about all of us when I say we prefer it the other way around, back to some sort of semblance of normality soon, we hope. Yeah, you just got to go straight Bob Dylan now and just be political and be like, well, it's getting f***ed up at the Twitter, man. Trying to avoid that as much as possible. I do want to get into your music, but I want to start on Stars Fell in Alabama. Is this your first rom-com? It's not my first rom-com. I filmed a, a little gem called It Happened One Valentine's. I don't know, like five years back that I'm very proud of, but didn't get nearly the distribution this guy did. This is definitely uh, my first rom-com in a long time. I'd gone from big World War II movie to a raunchy comedy. I think the one before that, I played a serial killer. So it was nice when this came across uh, the desk to, to do something that's far more accessible and lighthearted. And man, if there's a time that we need something that's just positive and relatable, I'd say it's right now. It's funny because I do feel like the holidays are such the time for really good rom-coms, you know? I had a little bit of withdrawals because I was like, man, I don't have, I need the story of the hardened New York reporter that's coming home to the small town and falls in love with the cookie baker, in, you know, and then they fall. And then I saw this and I was like, yeah, back into it, baby. So tell everyone kind of the storyline because I love just as someone who's in the industry, I kind of like love the premise of this movie. So tell everyone what the story's about. Yeah, well, so I, I play an agent, Bryce Dixon, and he's a very successful Hollywood agent who has an up and coming starlet named Madison Bell. So uh, Bryce is out having drinks for a premiere, gets a call from his buddies back home who really want him to come to the 15 year anniversary. And they pressure him going, hey, you must have a serious relationship now. You know, you're 33, I think the character is. Like, who is she? Is she coming? And there's this kind of undue pressure from the South. And so he kind of fibs and says that he does. Then they pressure him more and says, who is it? Who is it? And he's like, I can't tell you. And then eventually he slips and looks up and sees a billboard of his client, Madison Bell, and goes, Madison. So he puts himself in the situation where he's completely lied about dating a client and then goes so far as to call the client up and try and convince her <laughs> to fake be his girlfriend and go to Alabama, and lo and behold, he does, and the comedy and romance ensues. 
Would you ever right. would you ever date your agent or manager? Uh, both my agents, I think, are married um, <laughs> and have a couple of years on me. Yeah. And I'm in a very happy, committed relationship myself. So I'm going to go ahead and say no. Uh, generally speaking, look, I feel like things like this actually happen quite a bit. Because as you know, there's, it's strange, our industry. It's wonderful. But if you're not in it, it's hard to explain it. You know, especially from an acting perspective, like it's hard to explain why I'm going to go fake date somebody for the next two months to 10 years of my life, depending on the project. So there's some sort of understanding, I think, that happens amongst people in the industry, whether you're an actor, musician, agent, lawyer. So I get it. It happens a lot. But um, I'm very happy that my girlfriend does not do any of that. Smart man. Good answer. Stars fell on Alabama's out uh, now on demand and digital do you find yourself looking more at scripts like this? Because I got to imagine it's really, really fun to go do pictures like this. Absolutely, man. I mean, the more I've been lucky to have, you know, quite a spectrum of roles, the more I enjoy doing stuff that's lighthearted. That's fun because when you're filming a comedy, when you're filming a rom-com, you're having fun on set. If you're not, it's probably not going to be a very enjoyable movie to watch. That's the truth. So, you know, it's great to do character work. It's great to dig in and do drama and i crave that every once in a while but i would love to spend the majority of my career doing comedies you know or action action comedies that whole vein of stuff to me is really enjoyable is there any part of the film industry or television um that you haven't done that you'd like to do quite a few you know the, the action movie i've referenced a couple times now is called wolfhound and it's a massive world war ii film that i'm very proud of and very excited for that one to come out and i'd love to do more of that world in fact, as a little kid, I've always wanted to play a superhero. And as an adult kid, I still want to play a superhero. <laughs> so uh, that's on the bucket list for sure. Tell us what Wolfhound's about. Wolfhound is a true story that, thank God, didn't come to fruition. It's based on plans that were discovered about uh, Nazi-occupied France, the end of around 1944, towards the end of the war, when they were attempting to Trojan horse shoot down a B-17 American bomber. And then Trojan horse sat with a big war ending bomb over London. So it was a scary plan that, again, thank God didn't actually happen. But it's a story of what would that have looked like if that almost went down. So I play a P-51 fighter, Captain Holden, defending a P uh, B-17. We get shot down at the beginning of the movie. And mind you, all of this is shot practically. We're actually up in P-51s and B-17s and it's being filmed with a half million dollar sky cam on another plane in the air. It's pretty incredible. Um, and then we get shot down and most of the, the crew gets uh, taken captive. And it's me running through the forest trying to find them and creating this kind of one man army approach to stopping this whole thing. Wait, wait, very, wait. very cool. You got to be up in those old World War II fighters? Dude, the first, the very first day of filming, I was put into the back seat of a makeshift like jump seat because only had one seat in P-51s. Yeah. And, you know, pretending to fake fly the same way they shot Top Gun, just an older plane and put up there and said, all right, when you deliver your lines, press this button. So it communicates back down to camera and here we go. And then you just started dogfighting. I'm in barrel rolls and back turns. And so I literally were up there, was up there hitting my lines as many times as I could before I was ready to almost throw up. Um, which say what you what you will, but when you're in the backseat one of those planes doing barrel rolls, you can only last for so long. I don't care who you who you are. So I'd say like, all right, buddy, don't want to throw up on your plane. Let's land. He'd go, no problem. He'd land me down. I'd go hurl, hang out for thirty minutes, and go back up. I mean, that was the start of it. By the end of the movie, I actually started getting my pilot's license, and they were comfortable enough to let me actually 
fly a B-25 bomber. Now, I don't want to spoil, give any spoiler alerts away, but it's pretty awesome, man. So you'll see me up there. You're actually going to see me. And there was a co-captain there, obviously, for safety reasons, but they CGI him out. So when you see me flying that plane, it's actually me flying the plane. Stop it. Super cool. Did they let you ever fly the fighter? No. I mean, that one, I had only gotten seven hours of my license so far. So there'd be no way. It wasn't like his dual controls in a fighter. So maybe one day. Dude, that sounds sick, man. Yeah. I want to see that now. When is that coming out? <laughs> that one will probably be closer to the end of the year. I mean, it's a massive production. And they're working on it. But um, after Stars fell, I'm not exactly sure when, but I have a movie called We Need to Talk. That's a very funny, a little more raunchy comedy. I play one of the biggest gamers in the world. And that just won uh, Best Comedy and I won Best Actor at the First Glance Festival in Philly. So that's pretty exciting. It's going around and doing the little mini festival circuit. And uh, yeah, those two are two more to look forward to after this one. Dude, I'm such like a big like Memphis Bell fan. So just hearing about this, is it Wolfhound? Is that what it's called? Yeah. That sounds so sick, dude. Yeah, I mean, look, all three of these projects, you know, I think about like the slate of movies I have coming out already, just again, so, so living in such a state of gratitude, not only to have the projects, but they're all so different. That's what every actor wants to do. You know, I do love rom-coms, but I wouldn't only want to do rom-coms. Same with action movies. They're super fun, but less dialogue, different skills, you know, you have to have for those. So I'm just grateful to, you know, be able to work on all these different types of projects. Is there anything you wouldn't do? I've been offered some absolutely awful slasher films. Okay. Um, having said that, I do want to do one when it's a fantastic project. And I feel like there are far more bad than good in that world, respectfully. But you get like a Cabin in the Woods type script. Are you kidding me? I would jump at that in a heartbeat. But I've said no to everyone I've been offered thus far. Because, you know, that's it. It's easy to, it's easy to get cheesy in that world. Yeah. What would you rather be, the good guy or the bad guy in that situation? I mean, in those situations, the bad guy's way more fun. Yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> you know, you're going to do it, do it right. We'll see. It's also nice to live, potentially have, you know, like a trilogy project. So maybe there's a bad guy that does live. Maybe he's not the bad guy to like the third movie. Just throwing that out there into the universe. Yeah. Mike Myers is still walking around out there. So... 15 yep. Halloweens later. Love it. That's right. job security right there. Yeah, exactly. Smart man right there. So, I mean, like this all kind of started with Nickelodeon and Big Time Rush. You've kind of pivoted away from that musical project into this more like EDM situation. Tell everyone about LTX. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, I put out a, my own album years back, did a bunch of pop singles, uh, many of which I'm very proud of. But then my best friend and I, for fun, a few years ago, remixed one of my songs called How I Like It. And before we had the name uh, LTX, we remixed that as the Tri4 remix. That's my uh, best friend, Eugene Ugorski, the name that he DJed under and produced under for a while. That little remix went to number one in the Netherlands. It stayed on the charts and all the dance charts in all of Europe for weeks. I mean, it was like beating out Ed Sheeran and like crazy, crazy things in these markets and in the dance market, mind you. But for us, it was a really good sign. Like, hey, maybe we need to do more of this together. So we had a bit of a come to Jesus moment, if you will, about two years ago. Finally had time. My best friend had finally moved up to LA. He was living in Europe for about 10 years. And said, why don't we, why don't we do this? Why don't we jump in the studio and write and create and see what happens? And lo and behold, we've created, um, I think, the best music of either of our careers to date. 
and are super excited. I feel like we're just getting going. I mean, top of 2019, we were DJing. We played Liquor Box in Chicago. We're still on the lineup to play summer camp uh, main stage whenever that happens. But obviously, the whole world got pushed. So now we're just focusing on more releases. So we have an acoustic version of our song History coming out soon. Another single called Unforgettable coming out shortly after that. And just a ton of music. And hopefully, we'll be touring, playing, and DJing again very soon. Is there anything that I've missed out on that you're currently doing? I think we've covered plenty. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> I mean, look, that's, uh, this is everything that's, that's going on. Luckily music, I can continue to create and produce. Um, and then otherwise, man, I'm just back into um, auditioning as things start to pick up again in the acting world. And I'm very eager to see, you know, what the next project there is going to be. Yeah. Pilot season's right around the corner. Is there anything that you want to talk about or promote that I didn't ask you about before we pivot over to kind of like my portion of the show? No, man. I feel like if you want to follow anything else, just at James Maslow across all social media, I tend to post things that I'm doing on there. Well, I don't know if anyone told you what the premise of this show is, but I am fascinated with origin stories, how people got to where they are now, what steps they had to take and what roads they had to go down to find success. You've done a lot of stuff, so I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Do you have a couple minutes to talk about this? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, quick break. We come back. Where the hell James Maslow came from and how the hell he got here. Stick around on the Wells cast. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, 
We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. All right, back in the Wells cast, I have James Maslow on the show. He currently is starring in a movie called Stars Fell on Alabama. You might know him from Nickelodeon's Big Time Rush or maybe from his uh, musical career doing the EDM project LTX or maybe from Dancing with the Stars or from uh, the CW's The Big States. Listen, he's done a lot of stuff. I don't care so much about all that stuff, even though it is very impressive. I want to know how the hell you got to get all that stuff. So let's go back to the beginning. James, where the hell are you from? Where the hell am I from? Uh, I was born in New York, but I moved to San Diego when I was a young buck, like six years old. So I'm really from the West Coast, uh, but I have family in the East Coast and love it. And fast forwarding uh, just a couple of weeks, I <laughs> ended up attending performing arts schools in the eighth grade. Frankly, I was in regular school. I was playing sports, surfing, bored like any other kid who doesn't realize how good they have it, especially in a place like San Diego. The more I've toured the world, the more I realize how freaking awesome San Diego is. Yeah. But uh, decided to go and see this musical production. I had a, a Spanish tutor because it's the only tutor I've ever had, by the way, because my Spanish teacher started day one speaking in Spanish. Ironically, now I speak decent Spanish, but how do you learn? I didn't. So I had a tutor and she worked at the school called SCPA or the San Diego School of Creative and Performing Arts. And finally, after weeks of trying to get me to go see, I think it was Bye Bye Birdie, this production they were doing. I begrudgingly accepted. I wasn't really into theater or musicals or whatever. I was just like a little bro, didn't think twice about it. I didn't know anything about it. But uh, alas, I go and see the show and I was just blown away. I was like, holy crap, these guys are talented. They're singing and dancing and it looks cool. And like, I just had no idea. I'd never been exposed to that world. So I decided this seems way cooler than my school. I'm gonna go ahead and audition into the school, whatever that means. Um, I had been singing my whole life, so I'm like, okay, I'll use that and figure out like how to do a monologue or whatever, and I got in. So then from the eighth grade on, I guess I was in seventh grade, so from the eighth grade on, just started studying. Musical theater is my major, and you know, they threw me into like jazz, tap, and ballet, which I hated until, you know, I loved because it was fun to learn something new, and found myself surrounded by all these incredible actors and singers and dancers, and didn't know exactly in what medium I was going to be, but I knew that I wanted to entertain uh for a living very quickly. What are your parents thinking? You know, I don't know if like 12 year old Wells could tell my parents, hey, listen, I I appreciate the school that you put me in, but I think I want to go to this other one. I think I probably know what's best for me. You know, like how did that conversation go? I mean, it's not like they had put me in private school. Yeah. <laughs> I was at the local public school. I don't think my dad really gave a shit, if we're being honest. Um, he was just like, dude, if you're bored, you're not learning anything, then what's the point? If you think you're going to learn something here and it's interesting, he, he was always so supportive of my brother and I trying new things. Um, you know, he very much 
made me have to think about it and and talk about it and convince him to a point. But my dad was one of those supportive dudes. Um, you know, let me try everything from BMX racing to horseback riding to performing arts. And I'm so grateful that he did, you know, and I, I found that this is what I really love to do and continued with it. And look, the more dedication I showed towards it, the more support he gave me. So you change schools, you go to this creative and performing arts school. I read something about going to some acting camp. I went to, see, I did La Jolla Playhouse Conservatory one summer. That was a very notable one. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, from there, I went to the Coronado School of the Arts. I it just, I kind of became a an obsession. I just wanted to learn and train with as many people as I could. Do you remember how old you were when you got your first agent? Yes. It was strange because I had a um, shout out to one of the reasons that I, I do what I do today. Lee Scarrett was my vocal coach in San Diego, who I believe still teaches. If you guys are in San Diego and want a badass lady to help you out from performance to singing. And she was just, she was like one of the most strict people I've ever met in my life. But for me, she was the nicest lady in the world. It's like hard to explain. Like everyone else, she was so hard on and so strict. And then for me, she was like, James, you know, whenever you want, take your time. You know, and she just like, eventually I asked her not to, to sidebar too much, but I asked her, I'm like, hey, why are you so nice to me? Like, you know, you're not exactly nice to all your students. And she's like, James, you're the hardest person on yourself. I could never compete with that. You're harder on yourself than anybody I ever met. I guess that's, that's how I was as a kid. So she's like, instead of doubling down on that, I need to give you the other side of things. And so she was just such a, a great person, so aware. And anyway, she set up one day, uh, there was an equity department, you know, theater department for a small agency in the Valley in LA, actually in Studio City. And uh, we went up there randomly one afternoon and I was 16 or 15 or something and auditioned. And then when I auditioned for that, I literally got like recruited by the other agents on the floor, you know, more commercial acting, uh, traditional film and TV type people and got signed across the board. So I was like, I guess this is a happy coincidence. Let me start driving up to LA. And so that's what I did for years. I would drive from SD to LA sometimes four times a week. It got absolutely absurd. Um, and then just because of a bunch of things that happened in my life, uh, including almost losing my brother uh, my junior year, you know, I realized life is short and I just took a gigantic risk and graduated early and moved up to LA when I was 17. How did your parents take that decision? I mean, it was hard to argue with life is short after what we had just gone through. My brother was in a, a major, major motorcycle accident in ICU for about six months of his life, unconscious for most of that. It was pretty gnarly. And thank God he is um, alive and well today. He lives in Chicago, crushing it in, in the field of tech. I couldn't explain half of what he does. That's how bright I feel like this. Um, but you know, after all that, I'd missed so much school. I was going into my senior year and I'd taken most of the courses I needed to take all the APs and everything. So it was like back to basics. Anyways, I was like, dad, I don't need to be here. This is absurd. This is dumb. Um, so he allowed me to go to an independent study school that actually my brother had gone to before. So I still got my education and just did it in a very strange way my last year and basically said, Hey, give me a year. Let's see what happens. Were you the most talented person in terms of the performing arts at the performing arts school? Were you like the MVP? God, no. Were you the Zach Morris? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I landed some big roles. Like in the ninth grade, I got Danny Zuko in Greece, which was massive. That was like, we didn't have a sports team. So that was equivalent to like being, imagine being a varsity captain on any sports team as a freshman. Rarely, if ever happens. 
so look, I was dedicated and I was good and trying to get better and better, but there were so many talented people. It's like, how do you ever say, are you the, the best? Second, you think you're the best. First of all, you're wrong. There's too many people. There's just so many freaking talented people out there. The most talented, which you probably never heard of. Um, but you also lose that tenacity and motivation to continue to train. And so that like fear that there's somebody on my heels or there's somebody better than me that I have to work hard to try and beat or emulate or live up to, that's still the same type of fear and motivation that I thrive on today. I feel Tom Brady kind of does this a lot where there's probably a part of him that knows he's arguably the greatest quarterback that's ever lived, but he does this thing where he is a little delusional and thinks that everyone's against him and he has to prove something, like the media's against him or something. And he creates sure. this dialogue in his mind that continues to motivate him. I, and also when I was watching the that Michael Jordan documentary, kind of did the same mm -hmm. stuff or sort of making things up that like players never said to him, but continue to motivate him. I think that's a good lesson to learn is that the great ones know how to continue to be great and they have to use tricks and stuff to continue to motivate themselves up and beyond. Yeah. And I think it's a fine line between doing that and keeping it healthy. Yeah. I think it's very easy to let that attitude become unhealthy. Having said that, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, right? Like you could try and go halfway with this, probably only be half as good as you could if you just said, fuck it, everybody hates me, everybody wants me to fail, I'm gonna prove them wrong. Yeah. I try not to live in a state like that, you know, like the chip that may have been my shoulder when I was younger, I hope isn't uh, as large these days. But I think that, look, these are some of the greatest athletes, most successful people in general in history. And I think everybody shares a little bit of this. We need to constantly get better and constantly train and constantly stay in our A game or else someone else is going to take our spot. You graduate early. You move up to Los Angeles. What's What happens once, once you get to Hollywood? Well, I'm initially sleeping on my godmother's couch, which was, uh, let me just knock on some wood and say a thank you for, uh, you know, being my own home at this point, you know, a very, very different situation when I first came up here, but it was nuts. One of the earlier auditions that I had was Big Time Rush. I started when I was 17. I was in the very first round of auditioning they ever did. And that lasted for two full years. They did four screen tests, four national tours, recasting every single time. Even shot a pilot the third time around, a million dollar pilot, recast one of the characters from the pilot, if you can believe. A lot of people don't know that. And all along, I'm sitting there doing like, can I Carly, uh, you know, guest star here and teeny tiny little indie movie here and trying to figure it out and eating ramen and tuna fish so I can afford to pay for gas to go to auditions. I mean, that's how it was. You know, everything happens for a reason. And I'm so glad that I stuck it out. I think I actually ended up getting an offer from Disney for a small movie or something. And then all of a sudden, this is after almost two years, Nickelodeon went, you know, funny enough, we're going to move forward now. The contracts are actually done. And that's, that's how it started. And after all that, it could have been a failure. You have no idea how something's going to work out. But luckily, people gravitated towards it. The premiere, remember, was like the largest live action premiere in the history of Nickelodeon, which is just an incredible way to start. And then people took to it and the, the music took off and we were able to tour the world and film and just what a killer way to, to start a career, you know? So because Big Time Rush took off, the Disney thing dissolved? Quite immediately. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was, well, it was like the difference between like, hey, let me accept a role in like a small movie and who the hell knows with this, or let me take, you know, a series that has the potential to be big that I've been working on for two years. I obviously wanted to do this one. You know, I loved Scott Fellows, the creator. 
uh, loved the cast members I was working with. Like it would just made a lot more sense. But you know, I think they had us on a retainer of like fifteen hundred dollars a month, which when you're making zero money sounds like a lot. But when you're living on your own in LA, paying for gas. <laughs> it wasn't even enough to really get by on. And it just came a point where I was willing to break my contract to go and make money to eat and, <laughs> and, and live. So, hey, again, it all worked out, man. But what a wild, what a wild process. I think one thing that a lot of people out there don't realize about the entertainment industry, uh, especially maybe listeners of this show, is like in your case, you booked this Nickelodeon thing. So obviously Nickelodeon and Disney are not friends. And in a perfect world, you probably would have been like, well, I would love to do the movie. And I would also love to do this television <laughs> show and, uh, right. you know, make all the money. And Disney says, no, fuck you. Uh, you can't work for Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon said, no, you cannot go work for Disney. Uh, I hate that mouse. And so you have to make a decision, which is so tough, I imagine, especially as a kid. So how long, this is one of my favorite questions to ask people, especially people who started really early. When did you realize things were popping for you? It's a good question. To be honest, it was hard to really understand it at first. Not because we didn't know things were happening, because we were literally so insulated by how much we were working. We filmed a single camera show, so we were up at five in the morning, be on set at six. You film a minimum of 12 hours, and you just go home and learn your lines, go back to work. Then we'd have like a 10 p.m. cutoff with a police escort to make it to the airport to go and fly somewhere and play three shows and be back at 6 a.m. We did this for months, years on end. So it was really hard to like understand what was going on. We'd get numbers and it's like, oh, that's cool. But um, until you actually play music, until you actually get out in front of a crowd and then you're like, we're playing for how many people? Holy shit, like there's 10,000 people here. There's 20,000 people here. And uh, you know, you realize that at least a few people like it at that point. <laughs> And then there's there's always those really cool moments to stick in the back of your head. Like one of the first concerts we ever did was in the middle of Times Square. Most people will never get to experience Times Square, but for one of our first concerts, we had every single billboard filming us live, took over the entire place, set up a, a stage, had thousands of people. Um, and of course it starts raining right before we go on stage. And we think that's the sickest thing ever. We feel like rock stars. We're out there and we know like three songs, four songs, maybe. <laughs> and so we do our thing and get off. And like, you know, you don't really recognize how cool that stuff is until years later. And you're like, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know? Yeah, the bar is set a little high after that first gig, I guess. It was. It was. So and then our second gig, first ticketed gig. This is actually a fantastically embarrassing story. The first time we ever sold a hard tickets. I guess we had played like some random things or like you know pop-up performance shows, but we actually charged people money to see us perform. It was in Henderson, Nevada, um, at the Henderson Pavilion, I believe. So I don't know, a few thousand people maybe. And we, I guess they made it clear that we only knew five songs, but the fans don't read the fine print. They don't know that we only know five songs. So what we do, we went out there playing the track, you know, no band, nothing, little choreography and crush our five songs, go off stage and don't realize that everybody's chanting for an encore. And we did not have an encore. <laughs> we didn't have any more music. So we felt so bad. They're like screaming, like they're psyched. You know what I mean? Like all they, all they want is to come out and sing one more measly song. We didn't fucking know one. So we got in our cars and are like waving goodbye and feel like such assholes. <laughs> like 
we got to go learn some more music. But uh, never forget it. Yeah. James Henderson. So how long did Big Time Rush run for? I guess our last tour was in like 2013, 2014, something like that. Um, the show did four seasons, almost 100 episodes, did a movie or two in there, did a Beatles album, did a bunch of music. I mean, we did so much stuff. But yeah, I guess we stopped touring around there. And then what happens next? Look, everybody was ready for a break. You know, everybody had spent day in, day out, years together doing this one thing, playing this one character, singing these specific songs. And that's amazing, but any artist wants to mix it up. You know, you don't become an artist and do the same thing for your entire life. So uh, for me, it was very much about, hey, let me, I was focused on acting before I was focused on my music. And I guess in retrospect, it would have been nice to have like a bunch of music ready to go, but that's not where my head was at. And I just wanted to go and do gritty roles. So I remember like buzzing off my hair for the first time, going and do one of my first gritty roles, a Benny Boom movie called 48 Hours to Live, where Tommy Flanagan, Amelia Rivera, D. Ray Davis, like all these fucking killer actors are in it. And it was about like underground drug scene and had some dancing in it and like some fight scenes and I got to kill someone. And it's just, you know, it's one of the first ones I remember, but that was, it was so exciting. You know, I'm like, this is what I want to do. And then after doing, you know, 10 independent films, like you realize, like, ironically, more people will probably see this small rom-com, you know, Stars Fell in Alabama, which I'm also very, very proud of, than some of these other roles that took, you know, maybe three times as long to film and create because of all the effects or your dance or fights or whatever. Um, and that's just the way the world works. So I just went out and did as many movies as I could then started getting back in and creating my own sound. That took a very long time and really wasn't until LTX a couple of years ago that I found the niche that I really want to do with music, you know? But hey, man, just grateful that it all... Figuring it out eventually. The story's crazy. It's so interesting. And I just can't wait to see what happens next because you're so versatile. If you could only choose one form of art to continue doing, what would you choose? I've never given a direct answer to this question. Not that I'm trying to avoid it, but I truthfully don't know. Yeah. If anything, I would lean towards music in the sense that it's more versatile in terms of doing one thing for the rest of your life. You can be in a different city every day. You can create a new song every day. The turnaround on creating music, you know, and putting it out in the world is a lot faster than a movie. But, you know, I would miss the shit out of acting. You know, there are days where I feel like I'm a better actor than musician. And there are days where I feel like I'm a better singer than actor. And, like, I just go back and forth in my own head about that. And something that keeps me sane is the ability to do both and be in one location for a few months filming something and then tour. And, you know, again, this is a in a normal year. So I, I don't know. It'd be tough to choose. I'm very grateful to do both. And I hope to continue to do both for the rest of my career. Are you super high energy guy? Do you not sit down a lot? Yeah, but I love that about myself. I, I found as I've gotten older, I'm able to be aware of it now. When I was younger, it was definitely like a little more just kind of this energy all the time and like super excited. And like, I love that. And that's still in me, but it's different. I can kind of hone it in, focus it for a workout or focus it for an interview. And I can also sit down and, you know, zone out now and read a book for half a day. You know, I've just progressed into how I can focus it. But it's it's this, let's call it energy for lack of a better word, um, that's kept me going, that's allowed me to be focused. It's the same energy that had me like too focused when I was a young actor and a young musician in the industry. I mean, I remember like showrunners coming in just being like, hey, dude, you got to like enjoy it a little bit. I was so overprepared, knew everything. I was pissed off when my co-stars didn't. And like that shit happens. People show up and not in other lines. But I learned as I got older, like it's not my concern. 
I, you know, I hope they do for their sake, for my sake, for production's sake. But if you want to be an asshole and not do your job well, it really doesn't affect me. I'm going to show up, do my thing. And like the best thing you can do is just like live and let live, which I have to remind myself to this day, but I'm a lot better at it than I used to be. What stuff are you watching right now or absorbing that you're loving? You know, I hadn't watched The Crown until recently. And, you know, it's on its fourth season now, I think. And I'm just in the middle of the second, but just awesome. I mean, from a historic perspective as well, you know, and a cinematic perspective. I don't, I don't know if you've seen it, but part of the way that this show tells chronologically where it's at in history is by focusing in on what type of camera equipment they're using. I don't know if you ever picked up on that when you no. watched it, but you see like throughout each season, you've jumped five, 10 years in places or at least several because you've gone from like one scene is here recording and the next scene, it's like a little, you know, Nikon looking thing. And it's just, there's no flashes and it dissolves and just brilliance on an equal note. Uh, the Queen's Gambit, which is another Netflix mini series was bloody brilliant. And then on a more fun note, man, I would love to do a show like Hunter's. Have you seen Hunters? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, badass. Uh, Especially um, being Jewish. Mad respect. You're gravitating towards period pieces. Is that a byproduct of the World War II movie <laughs> that you've got coming out? I didn't even draw that, con that connection until you said it. Maybe. And I think there's also a, a sense of character development. You know, when you're playing somebody in 2021, everything's the same that it is in your day-to-day -day life. And, you know, you have to figure out ways to get out of your head and out of your life and into that character and into those shoes. But when you're in a period piece and the clothes fits different and the, the cars are different and the scenery is in many ways different, it's a lot easier to jump in and just uh, become a completely different character. So maybe that's why I like it. But, you know, down for all of it. I'll do a future one next. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've either learned or been given by a co-star, director, you know, DP, whatever? It's the same type of advice that used to drive me crazy to be overprepared, but still drives me today to just get better every day, whatever that means. And better also means different, different acting coaches and classes and trying new shit. Um, and that is that success comes when preparation meets opportunity. The way I look at that is everybody's going to have opportunities in their life. Some people are going to get a lot more. That's the way life is. Life isn't fair, but everybody's going to get some. And the more prepared you are, the better chance you're going to have at those opportunities. So in fact, for those of us that may not have gotten as much starting out or don't feel like you're getting a lot right now, I implore you to work that much harder and be that much more prepared if you feel that you're only going to get a few opportunities. Well, that's life. You better damn well be prepared for them. So whatever that means to you, you know, figure out what your hobbies are, what you like doing and just keep doing it. If you enjoy doing it, get better and better and keep it going because eventually the world will conspire to make those dreams happen if you don't stop. And I do think that success begets success. Like you get more opportunities the more that you are prepared for the situation and kick ass the first one, you know, so you can kind of no question. You can create your own badassery, if you will. Well, in fact, so many of my roles came to me because of the work ethic I had on previous movies. Yes, the job I did, but also everybody talks more now than ever. It's a lot easier if you're casting somebody. Oh, I probably know some. Oh, I know somebody was in that movie. There's a hundred people on a movie at least. And if you're in the industry, you probably know once you go and you ask, hey, was this guy easy to work with? Do I want to spend the next, 
you know, a matter of months or years of my life with this person. All that shit is as relevant as it is to how good you are for the job, in my opinion. Because when they get to that, all right, you and this person are both good enough, they're really going to go down to like, who do I want to be around more? So, you know, it's a lot easier to be nice than to be an asshole too, in my opinion. Um, and just forget any of the old stereotypes about like the famous people have egos and attitudes and all that. Like, dude, let me tell you, the most famous people that I've worked with or met are like the nicest, chillest, most humble. And that's motivating to me to be the same way. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so much easier to book a gig if everyone is excited to be around you. I mean, look at The Rock. He's literally yeah. made not only a career, but like the biggest fucking career just being a likable guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's still not the greatest actor. I mean, don't be wrong. I love watching his stuff, but it's because of who he is, you know? And it's a. Uh, it's pretty inspirational. Listen, I'm running out of time with you. Before I let you go, you got some time for some rapid fire questions? Let's go. Rapid fire questions with James Maslow. Number one, what's one thing that's always in your fridge? Eggs. One thing on your bucket list? To get my pilot's license fully. What animal do you wish you could talk to? An eagle. Oh. Physical trait you notice about someone you are attracted to? Smile. Last person you texted? My best friend, Eugene. I'm a partner in LTX. What was your high school yearbook superlative? Most likely to be something in entertainment, I guess. Do you believe in soulmates? Yes, but I think there may be more than one. How would you describe your high school self? Flip-flops, hair down to my shoulders, fish out of water, but I never cared. So you were like high-functioning Spicoli. I love that. <laughs> Who was your childhood hero? Childhood hero. That's a tough question. I mean, between my brother, my dad, and maybe acting-wise, Ryan Reynolds. Who's your celebrity crush? Currently? Sure. I haven't thought about that question in a long time. Um, I used to say uh, Emma Watson. Oh my lord, it's been so long. Yes, I was like Harry Potter. Why can't I think of that? <laughs> um, and I suppose still gradually, I haven't thought about this question in a while. I guess that's part of adulting. Your lady is very happy about how you answered that. I suppose. What's your biggest pet peeve? People who talk on their cell phones like this when they're driving a fucking hundred thousand dollar car <laughs> that most certainly has Bluetooth. <laughs> Who's the most famous person in your phone? That's a very good question. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, just say D-Ray Davis. Let's throw it out there. What was your first car? 94 Nissan. box. I don't know if that was the actual name, but it's how I remember. What was your favorite book? Own the Day by Aubrey Marcus. And last one, when you win your Oscar, who are you going to thank first? Probably my dad for supporting me, letting me go through this wild path of being an entertainer. Love it. James Maslow, you have been an absolute delight to chat with. Everyone out there, go watch Stars Fell on Alabama. It's available now on demand and digital. Go stream and download and buy all his stuff. LTX is the project. Keep an eye out for like five other movies that he's got coming out in 2021. James, where can people go follow you on the social medias? Just at James Maslow on Instagram, Facebook, and occasionally Twitter. Like going faces. You haven't been expelled from Twitter. That's good to know. No, I've not been expelled. I've been abstinent, but still allowed. Dude, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. Continued success. And when this is all over, let's go get a beer. I would love it, man. Hey, it was super fun chatting with you. Appreciate your time. You uh, are damn good at your job. Keep it up. Thanks, buddy. When this is all over, I want you to take me up in the air. How about that? Right. Let me get my license and maybe okay. like a few extra practice hours. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Look, I don't want to kill myself either, so I feel like you're probably pretty sane. <laughs> All right, James. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Take care, brother. Later. That was great. Love that, dude. 
You can tell that guy's given a lot of interviews. Very, very good interviewee. And as someone who's interviewed probably, I don't know, well over a thousand people, I appreciate that for sure, bro. Anyone else find it funny when uh, when he said one of his uh, his childhood hero was Ryan Reynolds? Because the whole time I was like, dude, you sound so much like Ryan Reynolds. Go back and listen to a little bit of him talk and you're like, oh my, that's Deadpool right there. Anyways, James Maslow, thank you so much for being on the show. That was a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you like the show, don't forget to go uh, rate and review on the uh, podcast store. Give me them five stars. Tell me how you feel about the show. That really helps. Tell your friends and family also, if you like the show, to listen to it. Okay, I'm going to stretch it out. I'm going to stretch it out. Oh, all right. Follow me at Wells Adams oh, on social media. See you guys next week. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.